All right, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Wonderful to see everyone. We are going to continue our study in the book of 2 Timothy. So go ahead and turn with me to the book of 2 Timothy in your Bibles. And we finished up chapter 1 last week and got into chapter 2. So I will read chapter 2. I'll just read through verse 13 since this is a little longer. I won't read the whole chapter each time. So starting in verse 1. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So, uh, can anybody remind me of what we talked about last week? We kind of finished up with chapter 1. I think God to verse 5 in chapter 2. Does anybody remember anything we talked about? Anyone, 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 at all? Bennett, go ahead. Yeah, I think we, we looked at the fact that the Christian is a soldier, mm -hmm. and you should not have handled yourself as a person. So you need that discipline as a believer in the ministry. And we spoke about the agricultural image too, that chapter as well. And then, mm -hmm. um, the picture of uh, an athlete mm -hmm. and how he disciplines himself so that he can win the prize mm -hmm. and not be disqualified. Mm -hmm. so I remember this Yeah. Yeah, so Paul uh, uses these three illustrations here, and we kind of talked about, and we didn't quite get to the hardworking farmer one, so we'll talk about that today, but he uses the illustration of the Christian life as a soldier, um, and there's often in the Bible the Christian life is referred to or compared to warfare, and we looked at Ephesians 6, where it talks about putting on the armor of God so that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and, and uh, extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. And so the, the Christian life is often compared to warfare and kind of talked about how, at least for me sometimes, it feels like that is almost an exaggeration. You can kind of get that feeling. It's like, is it really like war? I mean, it doesn't really seem that way sometimes. Uh, but really, that's more of a problem with me or with you if you're thinking that, um, that you're probably not fighting sin the way you need to be, uh, you're probably not pursuing holiness like you should be, you're probably not standing for the Christian faith uh, in the way in which you should be, because if you are doing those things, there's many times where that uh, the Christian life will feel like war, where you're waging against the flesh um, and fighting against you know all the temptations of the world and, and, and what it's drawing you to, and all these things, so the Christian life can feel like war. And then we talked about, as Paul goes on to say there, that no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits uh, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. And so, you know, we are not to be entangled with the cares of this world and, and the uh, things of the world tells us that we should be uh, prioritizing. Um, and, and not that, you know, you can't 
care about some of these things or, or spend time on some of these things, but they are not, you're not to get entangled with them, right? You know, you're not to prioritize these things and be consumed with these things, whether it be work or, you know, money, whatever, uh, sports, you can, you can name a lot of things that um, the world is so enthralled with that we as Christians are not to be. And we, just like a soldier's aim is to do that which he has been enlisted to do, so the Christian's aim is to do that which God has called us to do. And so we talked about that. Uh, then we talked about as it compares it to an athlete. It's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. So um, we are called to compete according to the rules. We are called to obey the commands of God. Um, and we kind of used examples of athletes that have you know, maybe remarkable careers, uh, break all kinds of records, and then we find out that they were cheating the whole time. They were using steroids or something like that. Um, and so the Christian that professes to be a Christian, or the person that professes to be a Christian and puts on this show that looks like there's a super super faithful and holy person, um, and then we find out that you know all along their their faith was it was not true. It was a false faith, and they were deceiving everybody. Um, and that you know there may be athletes throughout history that have cheated um, and and maybe gotten away with it. They never got caught, um, but that's not going to happen if you are a Christian and you don't compete according to the rules. If you have a false faith. Um, God is going to to judge you, and you will be uh, held accountable held accountable for those things. So we talked about those two things, um, and then we uh, are ready now for verse six, where it says, uh, "It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops." So, what do you think Paul means when he says this? Anyone have any ideas? Paul saying there, it's it's a battle. You you always have to to <clears throat> our faith is is not just it's not passive. You aren't just sitting back letting letting mm -hmm. it come. You have to work hard for it. Mm -hmm. And God is going to get the first fruits of of our faith. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not the Christian life isn't always easy. I think you know it's a it's like that of a hardworking. Uh, farmer faithful, faithfully living out our calling to be obedient and to to serve and to be witnesses uh, isn't always easy. It's often hard work, and just as a farmer has many days where they probably get up um, and don't want to do what they have to that what they're called to do in order to you know have the harvest that they want to have, uh, they have to do those things anyway, or they won't have that harvest. And so, to you as a Christian, might face many things in your life that you're called to do um, that you don't really want to do. Um, and so, what are some of those things that we as Christians are, are called to do um, that we don't always want to do? Church. Good church, yeah. Yeah, that's one of them. I don't know. I, and then a lot of these things, that hopefully most of the time, um, these things are a joy for you to do. And uh, you, I mean, going to church is, is usually the highlight of, of my week. And I know for many of you it is as well, but for some people... and. Sometimes, even for me, you, know, you, you may not want to. Um, any other things you can think of? What's evangelism? Yeah, that's definitely one of those. Anything else? I'm going to talk about some of these things, but anybody else got anything they want to rattle off? Bennett? Uh, I think it's ministry in general. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. um, Every Christian is called to do something. And mm -hmm. Paul, when he met Christ, what would you have me to do? Mm -hmm. And I believe everybody who has been saved and Christ, you ask yourself that question, you know, what would God have you to do? Because, you know, Christ himself said that uh, you are not going to have opportunity all the time. 
they say. So whilst we have opportunity, whilst we are strong, whilst we are fit, we have our faculties moving I mean, we need to do something. Otherwise, we look back at the end of our lives and then we realize that, oh, I wasted my time on things that didn't make me. The story that comes to mind, I read about a long time ago, a man who was a politician in England back in the days when he had kings. And he served the king for, I mean, he was like the king's right hand man, chief of staff or something like that. And then this man, towards the end of his life, he, he, he fell ill. And then when he fell ill, everybody deserted him, except the pastor. So when the pastor went to see him, he said, I wish I had served my God as I had served my king. Yeah, yeah. So to carry out our calling as you know, we're as we're able, and um, you know, in the time that God has called us to do it, to to do that faithfully, sometimes isn't always something we want to do. Go ahead. No, I'm good. Uh, I think basically any Christian duty becomes hard work under the right circumstances. Mm-hmm. There's some some Sundays I feel like excited and can't wait to preach. You know, but there are other Sundays where I like wake up with a headache and I'm tired and I'm like, we'll go again. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I do think that under the right circumstances, pretty much anything can become hard work. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, if you're taking it from cross, now, now obviously if you're sick, you say, well, I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, you mm-hmm. come to church if you're puking or something like that. But, you know, again, why I'm thinking this way is like I thought for years I was a really patient person until all of a sudden I had kids. I guess I'm not as patient as I thought. Mm-hmm. And so also a lot of Christian duties, they might not feel like hard work until circumstances change, you know, maybe you got mm-hmm. kids or a different job or whatever, and all of a sudden it becomes a hard work. So and maybe just anticipate that, that certain things that might seem really easy and full of joy now under other circumstances might become challenging, but you know, part of following Jesus is doing what you should do anyway. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think a lot of times too, like once you're first saved, like everything is just you're just on fire and, and everything's great and you, you you want to be at every Bible study there is and and read the Bible as much as you can and then you know as time goes on you sometimes that kind of dwindles away a little bit and you kind of got to fight that kind of how that's a war as well um, but yeah really in every duty that kind of we face that go ahead Drew um, uh, excuse me, so kind of my motivation for doing this was to reward him he talks about the athlete being crowned and okay, playing by the rules then you'll receive your reward and, and here it seems yeah yeah i think that's definitely a motivation to to doing the hard work and, and kind of persevering through those difficult times where you don't want to do something is is uh, looking forward to that reward that is coming so if you focus on that that's what our faith is we've read the end of the book we know we win there's that focus oh it's friday afternoon we've got friday night road But I know I'm going to benefit from it, and it's going to be good. So I get ready. <laughs> I'm going to go to Friday night grocery or men's breakfast. Getting up at six o'clock in the morning on Saturday morning isn't great, but it's always a joy to spend time with my brothers and, mm-hmm. and encourage each other and build each other up. So you look forward to to that, and it should be that with our with our walk as well. It's the prayer. You know, it's not easy to get up and do your devotions and do your prayer and everything, but to look forward to the benefit you're going to get from it mm-hmm. makes it easy.
Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. I think um, understanding that, you know, when you're, like I, one of the things I have down here is reading the Bible and prayer, kind of like you talk about it, a lot of times where you don't, you know, again, most of the time you probably, hopefully enjoy doing that, um, but there are times where you don't want to do that and it's kind of tiresome and just would rather watch TV or go to bed or something like that. Um, and then those are the times really where you most need to do those things. And you kind of got to look forward to um, the benefit that you know that's going to bring you because God tells us that there, there's benefit in that and there's wisdom in that. And even when you don't feel like you want to do it, understand that, you know, uh, it will be beneficial for me to do this anyway. So, yeah, that's, a, that's another uh, way in which, or another thing that we're called to that sometimes we don't want to do. I also put down here, you know, maybe it's after a long day of work and, and spending time with your kids, as you have kids, uh, and maybe having a Bible study with them instead of, uh, watching TV like you would rather do, uh, you know, just telling yourself again that um, this is, would be far better for me um, to spend time with them and, and, and have a study with them than to watch some silly TV show um, and, and to remind yourself that this is this is what it means to be this hardworking farmer that the Christian life is called to. It's, this is hard work for me. I don't want to do this right now, but I have to do it anyway. Um, or as Pastor Tim mentioned, maybe it's as a pastor or a teacher uh, preparing sermon after sermon after sermon or lesson after lesson, um, even when you don't always want to do that. I confess that, you know, in teaching this class here, that week after week, there's been times where I was like, I'd really just like not want to, or rather not do this this week, um, but I have to do it anyway, because that's what I've been called to do at this point in time. So it's just reminding yourself of this, that the Christian life is this um, life of hard work. Um, it is life of blessing and uh you know, there's happiness too. It's not awful. I mean, I'm not trying to say that, um, but remind yourself that there is hard work that comes along with it as well. Uh, or maybe as Christy mentioned, um, continuing to try to witness to somebody, uh, even after, you know, you've done it over and over again, it doesn't really seem like you're getting anywhere. Um, telling yourself that, you know, I'm still called to do this. I need to continue to try to have an influence uh, on this person. And this is another way in which the Christian life is like the hardworking farmer is that you don't always see the results of, um, your work right away immediately. So it's not like the farmer just throws the seed down in the ground one night and the next morning he wakes up and, and the crops are ready for harvest. Um, it takes time, it takes cultivation, it takes you know a lot of energy to be able to uh, see those results. And so Christian life, and there's been many examples of that throughout church history or maybe examples in your life of how you've tried to have an influence on somebody um, over the years and it might be decades later towards the end of your life before you see that person uh, come to faith, but uh, it can be very rewarding when you see that, um, to see the result of your hard work. So, it, Paul makes this comparison of the Christian life to that of a soldier, that of an uh, athlete, and that of a hardworking farmer. Um, and in all of these things, in order to be successful at them, um, it takes a great level of perseverance. Um, it takes a great level of perseverance to, to deal with all the trials of being a soldier in, in battle, or being an athlete, and the physical toll that that takes on you. Uh, with injuries and everything, you have to persevere in order to be successful, and to be a successful farmer, you have to work very hard. So, any comments or questions on any of that before we get moving? Go ahead. I was just thinking about something that Aubrey said last night, I thought, or last week, that I thought was really good. She was talking about the athlete, and in order to get that reward, you need to follow the rules. But I liked what she said about, you have to know what the rules are. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, like when I was playing tennis, you know, I... I that it step over the line you serve. I mean, really had to know the rules. And she yeah. was saying, in order to know those rules, you have to get into God's Word. Right. So, I, I thought that was really mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good I point. I know a little bit about out, out of place here, because we're on the farm. Right no, yeah, any, any, but, any of that stuff I was, I was asking about. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was a good point, too. Word, knowing what the rules are. I mean, how do we know we're supposed to do 
good workers unless we're in the word. And it says here we need mm -hmm. Yeah, like yeah. Yeah, that's a very good point. I mean, this is the rule book, right? Yeah, so exactly. we have to we have to read this to understand how we're to live and, and you know what convictions we're to have and all of that. So yeah, that's a good point. And, and to compare that to the athlete again, you're whether you know the rules or not, you're still penalized for uh, yeah. breaking the rules. Um, if you travel in a basketball game, but you didn't know you had to, you, you couldn't travel. Well, it doesn't matter. The other team's going to get the ball. So um, that's the same thing uh, with the word of God. Whether you know the word of God or not, you're still held accountable for it. And so we want to know the Word of God so that we can um, live the way we should. So, yeah, that's a good point. Any other things you wanted to say? Go ahead, Ben. I think uh, one other idea is sometimes religion can become too much and too complicated. We have this idea that you can drag yourself <laughs> into mm -hmm. something, all right? You are just going through the motions. Mm -hmm. Have you seen a lazy footballer before? A lazy footballer? Uh, yeah. <laughs> American football or soccer. Yeah. You know, and how do the fans feel towards lazy athletes? I don't like them. <laughs> you know, if any player comes to mind who is lazy, mm -hmm. you know, people are just there. You don't track man. You don't do anything. Like I mean, it's not part of out of the game. He's there, but he's just going through the emotions. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the Christian life appears that way. Mm -hmm. You see, and that's a very dangerous position to be. Mm -hmm. Because you are not just a liability to yourself, but a liability to the whole team. Mm -hmm. And I think when we think about ministry, these are some of the things we have to basically when we join the church, we don't just think that's all you are just making up the numbers. You know, but your role affects the forward match of the whole team. Mm -hmm. See, and I think as a we think about these things, these are some of the things we have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's important not to just go through the motions. I think, yeah, that's kind of how like what I was talking about, where it seems like these things are almost an exaggeration, like it's not really, you know, is it really like that? Like, well, it's probably because you're just going through the motions and you're not actually, you know, putting in that hard work. So any other comments or questions before we go on? Go ahead. We think that phrase is, uh, when it says, you'll be the first to share with scribes. Uh, Hardworking farmers ought to have the first share. Like, what do you think that means as far as, like, it's a metaphor you know, it's a metaphor for the Christian life. What does the first to share the crops correspond to? Uh, I don't know. I mean, it could be, I don't know, if it may be the rewards in heaven that we, we see. I mean, you get the one who works the harder and, and um, sows the most down here on earth, reaps the most in heaven. I mean, not that, you know, we all enjoy heaven, whatever, but it could be rewards. I don't know. Do you have any particular thoughts? I don't know. I didn't, I, I guess I didn't really look. To that, into that too much. I was more focusing on the hardworking farmer aspect of it. So I don't, I don't know exactly what the first share of the of the crops is. But um, anybody else have any comments on that as to what they think that might be? Oh, I'm sorry. I, I got sorry. a theory. Okay, what's that? I think in context, it's talking primarily about pastors. Uh, you know, okay. first, you know, it's a pastoral epistle, but then if you go back to like verse two, the whole charge is like Timothy. Basically, raise up and train up other pastors. So, like, while all that we've said is true, that the Christian life is like a soldier and like uh, an athlete, all of that's true. It does seem to be primarily talking about how pastors ought to view their role as pastors. Mm -hmm. And with, and I'm kind of like verbal processing this, so this might not be entirely true, but it does seem with the pastor's role. Part of the first fruits is that, like, as I study and prepare sermons, my soul is fed. 
And then from that, I preach and teach y'all. So one of the benefits of being a pastor is that I get the first fruits of what I then share with everybody. Yeah. Am I making sense? So I think that's possibly what this is referring to, first and foremost. But again, all that we've been saying about the Christian life is true. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that could be. It sounds like uh, that, that might be what he's talking about in terms of the first share. So, Any other comments? All right, we'll keep moving in. Uh, and then in verse... what? Oh, sorry. So many different things that were said that um, it seems to be like a good soldier, and then you know the drive of the athlete, and then the work ethic of the farmer brings about that first fruit. Mm -hmm. um, and then I think of the fruit of the spirit, you know, and that's the joy and the sustainment of our faith every day. Mm -hmm. So, and the discipline of the soldiers is when you wake up every day and you don't want to do the things that are hard, right? Mm -hmm. But then you do it in the drive of the athlete, you get that rush and you're going towards the finish line and that golden crown is there. And mm -hmm. then the harvest uh, from the farmer, I, I, with that metaphor, I think it just can be used in so many ways. I'm not trying to project anything onto it, but it seems like all of what everybody was saying kind of tied together to that process. Mm -hmm. What's that? Three separate things. They all tie together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so. I think they're all tied uh, one in the same. And yeah, one of those share of the crops is that joy that it brings and the happiness that it brought glory. So um, we'll keep going here. Verse seven. Um, Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. And so here we see kind of that the Christian or that Christianity is a thinking faith uh, that requires you to think and to consider. Uh, what you're learning, what you're hearing, what you're reading. You know, have you ever come across something in the Bible that you're reading and you don't really understand what it means? I'm sure you probably have. I know I have plenty of times. Um, uh, it, but then maybe you think about it for a while or you look to the help of others uh, and, you're, and you're able to understand it. And so this is what Paul is telling Timothy to do here, that if, you know, if at first what I'm saying to you doesn't make sense, think about it, pray about it, and the Lord will give you understanding. Um, and the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Uh, now, this, of course, doesn't mean that you know, you're going to understand absolutely every aspect of the Bible, um, but that the Lord will give you understanding in everything uh, that you need to understand if you pray about it and, and diligently study it and, and think over these things. And also, uh, you know, that the Bible is not something that, uh, well, it, I mean, it is something that we have to study and think deeply about. It's not something that you kind of just skim through and pick out, you know, whatever verses you like or whatever stories you think are cool or inspiring you know some people kind of read the bible that way they you know read through and like i don't really understand what that means so i'll just keep going or i don't like that verse like oh there's a good verse you know i'll make that my life verse or something like that that's kind of what uh, how some people think that the christian faith is or reading the bible how you're supposed to do it which is not at all how you're supposed to do it every word is the inspired word of god and so we must carefully consider the entirety of scripture even the difficult uh, passages that are hard to understand um, we still have to uh, consider them and, you know, again, seek the help of others to try to understand it. Uh, but you don't just ignore it and just pick out what you like. So any comments on that? Okay. okay. Go ahead. Something else that kind of grabs my attention is, like, Timothy found some of this stuff hard to understand. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mm -hmm. mean that we're absolute knuckleheads if we find stuff that we don't understand, yeah. too. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it reminds me of that verse in, I think, First Peter, where Peter says, you know, some of that. All right, you to help understand. So, you know, the, the idea that studying scripture is challenging and that there are passages that we're not going to fully comprehend, it's not like a new thing that, you know, we, you know, just modern wicked people are, you know, just, 
Mm-hmm. Unusually awful. You know, this is something that just characterizes human life, but thank God, with that, the Spirit is there to help us you know, mm-hmm. in our minds as we ponder God's Word. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and even, like you said, Timothy, being as a minister like he was and would have known the Word pretty well, even him, even he's struggles to understand some of these things. And so, um, you know, we don't, we don't need to feel awful if there's something something that comes up in the Bible that we, we can't quite make sense of. But any other comments? Okay, so then in verse 8, and Paul says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. So I think Paul is saying this to, uh, both saying this to encourage Timothy that Christ is risen from the dead and has satisfied the wrath of God and has atoned for his sins, and also to remind him of these two important truths that were being attacked uh, by many in that day. Uh, there were many in that day that tried relentlessly to discredit the resurrection, uh, as well as many who tried to deny that Christ was the offspring of David, along with his human nature. And we'll kind of talk about that later, of some of those, who those people were. Um, and so this was a big problem in that day, but is it still a problem today, these two things? Yeah, there's, there's all kinds of people who try to discredit uh, the resurrection, people who devote really their life's work to this kind of thing and write books about it uh, in order to try to discredit the resurrection and even discredit that uh, Paul, or excuse me, that Jesus was the offspring of David. And so Paul specifically states these things because they are such important aspects of the gospel. And why are these things so important? Uh, why is it so? Why is it important that Jesus was risen from the dead? Good. And yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. That proves that he is the Son of God and that he is deity. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's very true. That proves both that yeah the the. Fully being fully God and fully man, um, in both those things. Any other reasons why it's important uh, that Jesus was risen from the dead? Yeah, yeah. It shows that, and that God was pleased with um, his. Him being our substitute and, and dying in our place. Uh, anything else? Go ahead, Dave. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I actually have that verse on here to talk about. So, um, yeah, so uh, anybody else have anything else before you start going here? Yeah, I had uh, as well that Jesus prophesied that he would be raised many times. Uh, so this would have made Jesus a liar if he wasn't raised from the dead. Uh, so he wouldn't be somebody that we should believe and obey, but rather pity and, and scorn if he said all these all these times that he was going to be raised from the dead and then ultimately wasn't. Um, and there were also many prophecies in the Old Testament that would have been false as well. So God would have been a, a liar if Jesus was not raised from the dead. Another reason is it assures our resurrection. If Christ was raised, then so too will those who are his own. Um, we who are united in Christ by faith will be resurrected along with him. Um, in 1 Corinthians 15, which uh, Dave alluded to, and not this verse yet, but there's all kinds of verses. And if you ever want you know, to have a better understanding of the importance and the significance of the resurrection, I encourage you to read chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. Uh, but in 15, 21 and 22, it says, For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. So we are assured of our resurrection too if we are in Christ because we've seen that Christ has been resurrected. 
And if we are assured of our resurrection, then it will increase our service and devotion to the Lord. In 1 Corinthians 15, later on in 56 through 58, it says, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So all that we are doing, tirelessly striving as the hardworking farmer like we talked about, uh, that's not in vain because Christ has been risen from the dead, and we know that uh, we also will be, and that we will have our reward for that. And then it proves, as we kind of mentioned again, that the wrath of God has been satisfied. In 1 Corinthians 15, 17, as Dave uh, brought up, it says, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Um, so it's very important that Christ was risen from the dead um, to signify that God is, has, His wrath has been appeased. Uh, and, and we will no longer bear the sins that, or bear the wrath that we should have, that we should bear, because Christ has borne it for us, and He has canceled the record of debt that stood against us and nailed it to the cross. Uh, so there's a lot of uh, important things uh, in regards to the resurrection, and why it's important that it happened. So it's important, and that's why kind of Paul wants to uh, reiterate this and tell Timothy of this again, with all the people trying to discredit it. Uh, and so why is it important that Jesus was the offspring of David? What do you think of why that might have been important? I think it's it's pointing to, and there's several points here, that it's pointing to <clears throat> Christ or Jesus being man, mm -hmm. the, the incarnation. Mm -hmm. Because you know, one of the first things I learned when I became a Christian, I started looking into it. Paul would mention Jesus Christ, and the emphasis was on Jesus. But he'd also mention Christ Jesus, and the emphasis was on Christ. And here he's saying Jesus Christ, the man, was risen from the dead. Mm -hmm. He's the offspring of David. Christ isn't the offspring of David. It's Jesus that's the offspring of David. Mm -hmm. I think I think that that's just pointing to the the incarnation that, that mm -hmm. he, he was fully man. Mm -hmm. He was fully God. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's again reiterating that the human nature of Christ as well and establishing that, that he did have a human nature by saying that he was the offspring of David. So yeah, I have that to talk about as well. Anybody else have? Isn't there, like just a lot of prophecy mm -hmm. in the psalm? So like he teaches him about uh, part of the psalm will be about David, but then part of it will be about the David to come. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. there's all kinds of prophecies uh, in the Old Testament. That uh, was another reason I had down here, similar to the first, or to why the resurrection was important, as that it was to fulfill prophecies. There's many Old Testament prophecies that the Messiah would come from the line of David. Uh, one being in Second Samuel seven twelve through sixteen, where the Lord talking to David says, "When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you. You shall come from, or who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the." the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So in that first part there, he's talking about um, Jesus, uh, the Messiah to come, is going to be from the line of David. And so being born that, and we get all those genealogies in like the book of uh, Matthew and Luke, I think, um, that show us um, that Jesus is connected to the line of David 
and that fulfills those prophecies. And then, uh, as Chris kind of brought up, it establishes the humanity of Christ. And uh, it says that he was born into this line of men, uh, so that means that he had a human nature. Uh, the this would have been really important because there were many, again, in that day that, that wanted to deny the humanity of Christ and say that he was you know, only divine or, or only spiritual. And again, why is it important to that Christ had a human nature? Anybody think of reasons why that's important? Well, one of the reasons is important is only a human is born under the law. Um, so Christ had to be born under the law and perfectly obey that law in order to fulfill that law. Um, and so if he was not human, but only God, then he could not have been born under the law to fulfill it. Also, God established the, sh the shedding of blood as necessary for uh, the removal of sins. And so if he was only spiritual and didn't have a physical body, uh, then that would mean that he could not have shed blood in order to remove these sins. And it enables Jesus to relate to us since he has been tempted in every way that we are yet without sin. Again, if he was only divine and only God or spiritual, he wouldn't be able to relate as, as we have dealt with sin, but he was tempted in every way that we were, uh, yet overcame all of those temptations. So these two things uh, are very important and are still very important, which is why Paul wants to remind Timothy of these things. And then he says that, uh, he ends with, as preached in my gospel. So remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. Why do you think Paul says my gospel here? Any thoughts on that? So I don't think he is saying uh, that, his, that this is his own gospel that he came up with um, on his own. I believe that Paul is kind of referring to, what Paul is referring to is the one and only true gospel, which is the gospel that he preached, uh, the gospel that he taught to Timothy. Um, as opposed to all the other false gospels that were going on in that day. And there were many false gospels in that day. There still are many false gospels. Um, but Paul is saying that this is the gospel that I preached to you. It's not the gospel I came up with, uh, but this is the one and true gospel. And so uh, you need to stick to this. And so, um, go ahead. You know uh, in addition to that, I also think Crawley expresses that because this is the gospel that got in prison. Because if you look at verse 9, mm -hmm. which I'm suffering out of chains. <laughs> Jesus Christ, and this is the very message that you know landed me in prison. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that is that's a good point. Um, so again, yeah, this was opposed to all the other false gospels uh, that he that were going on in that day, and these were being uh, promulgated by people like Hermogenes and Phygelus that we talked about uh, in chapter one. Um, and then there's two more names that come up. Hymenaeus and Philetus that come up later in this chapter of people that Paul says have swerved from the truth, uh, people that were promoting a, a false gospel. And does anybody uh, know of any of the kind of the false teaching that was going on in that particular day? Anybody remember or think of that? There's a lot of polytheism. There's mm -hmm. many gods in the name of mm -hmm. worship. The, you know, I'm trying to blank on the names, but there were so many, there was a mm -hmm. God for each different part of your life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, polytheism was definitely one of them. Um, anything else? Go ahead. Gnosticism. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there was Gnosticism, which I have down here, which is the idea that kind of material things uh, were evil and spiritual things were good, which is kind of you know what we alluded to earlier, where they the fight against the humanity of Christ 
Uh, they kind of believe they believe that Christ didn't have a human nature; that he was only spiritual. Uh, um, and so that led to that kind of false teaching. And then also that as long as you were spiritual, it didn't really matter what you did in the physical. Is kind of what they taught. So you really gave people a license to sin and do whatever they wanted. So you can imagine this was a pretty popular gospel in that day, and people liked to hear that. So that was one of them that was was going around. Uh, there was another one in my studies that I, that I came across, which was called Sophism, uh, which was really like these philosophers and a persuasive group uh, that would just, didn't really get into the depth of the scriptures or the word of God, but rather just would use pers persuasive language um, uh, to lure people into believing whatever it is they wanted them to believe. Um, so there was a large sect of that going on as well. There was another um, uh, false teaching called monasticism, which was uh, basically this extreme idea of withdrawal from the world or denial of, of self as a way of kind of earning a better standing with God. Um, there's people, some of the stories of what these people would do uh, was kind of crazy. Someone would just live, uh, would go away and live out in the wilderness by themselves um, in order to isolate themselves from anything in the world. And again, not like the idea of that is not totally bad to isolate yourself from the world or deny yourself. I mean, these are things that are taught in scripture. Uh, but these people would go to extremes of this in order to, you know, earn a better standing with God. They would sleep on like cold, hard ground instead of sleeping in beds um, in order to really just make life as miserable as possible. They would abstain from eating any good food or, or any drinking any good drinks um, because they thought that they, they basically had to make their life miserable in order to please God. And so uh, there was also a lot of different false teaching on the nature of the Trinity, um, the nature of Christ, as we've talked about. There was all of this going on, and we could go on and on. There are many false gospels being promoted, and Paul is telling Timothy to remember and hold to the one true one, which is the one Timothy uh, would have heard Paul speak of. Any other comments on that before we keep going? Go ahead, Bennett. I think that false words mean that he owned the gospel. Mm -hmm. That's why he said that for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Mm -hmm. you know, so his purpose, his life goal was to bring the gospel. Mm -hmm. And I think it, ha it has a lot of implications for the way we profess ourselves as believers. Because when we talk about the importance of the gospel, and we really live like we, it's that important in our lives. Yeah. Yeah, and Paul, yeah, he calls it his gospel I mean, because, in a way, it is his gospel. I mean, it's the gospel of Christ, um, but now that he is united with it, it, it becomes his gospel as well. Uh, and then he, he goes on to say, For which I am suffering, bound with change as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. And so this gospel uh, that he has preached is wound up getting him in prison and in jail. Um, and we've already discussed this several times, That uh, gone over the suffering that Paul has gone through for the sake of the gospel. And at this time, he was in chains for his faith. But he proclaims that even though he is bound up and locked up, this does not mean that the word of God is, is bound up. And uh, you know what an encouragement this should be to us, uh, that the world can, can mock Christianity, it can revile Christianity, uh, it can make it illegal, it can imprison Christians, it can kill Christians. Um, but that doesn't stop the Word of God from going forth. Um, they can do whatever they want um, to, try to, to try to suppress Christianity, um, but they will not be able to. They will not succeed. In Matthew 16, 18, it says, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Job 42, 2, 
Uh, it says, I, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Well, part of the purpose of God is that the gospel would go out to all the nations. His word would go forth and that will not be thwarted. Uh, even though the world will try very um, tirelessly to do that. Psalm 15.3 says, Our God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. Again, it pleases God for his word to go forth uh, and go to all the nations and he will do that. And it's kind of funny how the world and the devil try so tirelessly to suppress Christianity, and it usually ends up having kind of the opposite effect of that. Um, often it ends up strengthening the faith of those who are going through it, and it often leads more and more people to Christ as they see you know, that so many are willing to suffer all these horrible things for the sake of it. Um, and they start to think, oh, maybe there's something here. And so usually it ends up having the opposite effect um, that the world and the devil want it to. And so if they really wanted to have the most effect on Christianity, it would probably be wisest just to leave the Christians alone uh, and let, let them be comfortable and, and not face any sort of trials or tribulations. Uh, would probably have the most effect on Christianity. And this all kind of reminds me of, of the wonderful hymn, uh, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, by Martin Luther. And the end of it uh, says this, and I'm not going to sing it, so sorry if you're disappointed, but it says that the word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth, the spirit and the gifts are ours, through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also, the body they may kill, God's truth abideth still, his kingdom is forever. I just like that last part there, that, that to let mortal life go, as well as goods and, and anything else, and then that the body they may kill, but God's truth is, is still going to abide. Um, it doesn't matter if they, they burn you at the stake. It doesn't matter if they imprison Paul, who was such a herald of the gospel, and probably thought, you know, we got him in prison. We're, you know, we're doing good here because it's going to negate a lot of the process of Christianity, but that didn't happen at all. Uh, God's truth still abides and still goes forth. And so we have to remind ourselves of this, that in, every, in any circumstance, um, no matter how hard the world tries to... Um, combat Christianity, um, God's truth will still go forth. So any comments, questions on that? Go ahead. It really strikes me, like in one sense, that phrase is like prophecy, um, you know, the word God is not bound. Mm -hmm. That was written 2,000 years ago. Mm -hmm. Now, 2,000 years since, we can see that has proven true mm -hmm. you know, in the face of like, you know, just real quick, like Muslims and communists and atheists and mm -hmm. liberals and you know, all these groups trying to destroy the word and burn it and get rid of it, like Almost all of those groups have like collapsed, but here we are in 2023. Yeah. Miles everywhere, and you can get it online. And, you know, so again, that's only proven true, mm -hmm. which, is, which is really kind of cool. You know, it's like mm -hmm. prophecies that we see being fulfilled right before our eyes. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point, it's because yeah, like you said, that was written 2,000 years ago, and here we are still preaching the word of God, still teaching the word of God, even though so many different groups and and governments have tried to rise up to squelch the word of God, um, haven't been able to, and we're still teaching it and will uh, into the future, too. So that's a good point. Uh, anything else? It makes me think about like, when I'm weak, then I can strong, mm -hmm. or when I serve in the church and I don't really want to, mm -hmm. I am strong and I am sanctified and I grow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point as well. Um, and, and the word of God will continue to go forth. Um, so then uh, he says, Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So any guesses as to what Paul is saying here? What does he mean by, therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect? 
think he, he look, he could see a little bit that his proclaiming the gospel, even in his chains, and he was still, <laughs> his first thought was to write Timothy and make sure that, that the gospel was to go out. Mm -hmm. That I don't think that he had a conscious thought that, okay, this is going to be, you know, the scripture here is going to be taught by Jay in mm -hmm. 2023 years or whatever. But he knew that proclaiming the gospel was good for the church, mm -hmm. yeah. the church universal. Mm -hmm. And and so it was for the elect that he did what he could and fought as a soldier and and as as an athlete and as a mm -hmm. farmer to saw the end goal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we see kind of the heart of Paul too, as he cares much more about you know others and the well being of the church. Uh, than he does for his own self, even though he's going through these difficult situations time and time again. Uh, his aim is is to do what he can for the sake of the body. Go ahead. Uh, in proof text for human responsibility, uh, when it, even when we consider God's election, mm -hmm. obviously talking about predestination earlier in chapter one and everything, mm -hmm. you can be tempted to think that you know that's all God's elected people. Paul addresses this in Romans. God's elected people, I'm just going to casually not make it up. Mm -hmm. Paul's saying, no, I'm doing this for the elect. So God's using Paul mm -hmm. in his election process. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. And, and yeah, I was going to have that to talk about as well. But, uh, you know, we are, even though God has his elect people, um, he still uses Paul, he still uses us in that process of bringing them to salvation. So, do you have something you want to say? Yeah, I was going to say, I, I totally agree with that. Obviously, human responsibility, but also like you put the word elect in there, and it's not saying like God will choose you. <laughs> and he, you know, it's ultimately up to God. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do everything I can to save you and to encourage you along and to introduce you to Jesus. Mm -hmm. But it's ultimately just God is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm weak. Yeah, so I was, I was going to ask is, you know, who are the elect? What is the elect talking about here? And the elect is clearly, clearly talking about those whom God chose from before the foundation of the world, as we talked about earlier in chapter 1, where he says he gives this grace before the ages began to these people. Well, that's talking about those whom God has elected from before the ages or before the ages began. And it kind of goes what to back to what we talked about earlier. Too much time left, but evidently Paul's suffering had a tremendous effect on other believers, and it was very important that Paul uh, endured this suffering faithfully. It had a way of encouraging others, motivating others, teaching others, uh, by his example that he set um, in his suffering. And again, as Chris kind of brought up, this also shows us how much more Paul cared about others over himself. In Colossians 1.24, it says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up with what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is, the church. And so all of the suffering, Paul's mindful of the effect that this has on the body of Christ and the churches that he was connected to. And so Paul recognizes that the suffering he is going through not only builds up his faith, but also builds up the faith of others. Uh, and then it goes on to say that, uh, they, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And so the question might kind of come up, as we've alluded to a little bit here, why does Paul say that he must endure in order for the elect to obtain salvation? You know, does, does God need the assistance of men in order to save his elect? Or is the immutable decree of God... Um, contingent upon human effort or human uh, contribution? Of course it's not. 
God is God saves and God alone saves. However, as we spoke about, God delights in in doing this saving through using His people to influence others by teaching or by being godly examples, whatever it might be. Uh, Paul has or God has decided to use us as kind of the instruments in order to carry out uh, this grace to His people. It is God who's doing the saving; is working through us. But he's still using us. And so Paul is not saying that the salvation of the elect depends upon his steadfastness or how faithfully he endures these trials. Um, he is simply saying that it still has an effect on these people, and I'm called to do this because this is how God works through me uh, to save others. Does that make sense? Would you agree with that? I don't know. Uh, any, any comments or questions on that? We're, we're about out of time here. So go ahead, Corey. I think it's brought it all back together again because it starts first eight there with remember Jesus Christ, so remember the gospel, mm-hmm. which is that's the commission to the soldier above, right? Mm-hmm. Is the gospel. And you have to remember the gospel, and that's why he's suffering. That's the goal of the race, that's the athletic endeavor, that's all that stuff. And he's bound in chains now because it's that important. That's that same discipline. Mm-hmm. And then um, the word of God is not bound, and he's enduring those things like the farmer endures the hard labor. Like the soldier endures the discipline for the first fruit, which would be like, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's amazing and how yeah. all of that comes back together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good summary of everything we just talked about here, how that all ties together. Called to be a soldier, called to be an athlete, a farmer, um, and do this for the sake of the gospel, which can result in, in some of this uh, difficult things, but then produces this share of the crops. All of this is as a good summary of everything that we see there in the beginning of chapter 2. So I'll close this in prayer, and then we can go to the sermon. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you again so much for another time to gather together and commune with one another and to study your word and study and learn what you have to say here in Second Timothy. Just pray that we would uh, see our lives as that of a, an athlete, a, a soldier, a hardworking farmer, Lord, and that we would be... Um, diligent to to live this Christian life, even though there are uh, times that we don't maybe want to do the things that we're called to do. Lord, just give us the grace and help to be able to do these things. Help us to remember your gospel, Lord, that you have entrusted to us and that we might be faithful to it, Lord, um, in the midst of difficult circumstances, Lord. I pray that um, your word would, would continue to go forth as we see that it is still going forth in this day and will continue. We praise you for this. Lord, I pray that you would be with Pastor Tim now as he delivers the sermon. Help him to preach clearly and uh, with authority that your word brings, Lord. And I just pray that we would be edified and built up, Lord, um, and that you would uh, bless the rest of this service. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.